one shot, now the future for sure. Let's go. Yeah, I was building on the lecture. Versus coming daily under pressure. Working on the plot and the scheme. The true style trademark is at the edge of your dreams. I'm talking one. One shot for the kill. The breeze cut freeze up. Straight drop and the chills. I'm talking. Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Startup Fan Podcast. We are going into week four, and then Mark's going into week five. Is that right, Mark? Lockdown? Week week six, oh, you believe it or not. Week six? Okay, right, okay. Yeah. Week six of lockdown, who would have thought? I did the dreaded home haircut. <laughs> oh, I saw. It's awful. It's bad. It's really bad. Do you want to know what happened? What? So I, about six months ago, I bought a like a face razor to kind of keep a bit of stubble you know like instead of just shaving it all off yeah. i actually forgot instead of doing a homer simpson on it. exactly yeah exactly so so i so i bought this home face shaver and i forgot i bought it and it just dawned on me that I, I have a razor with different levels on it brilliant so i convinced um one of the lads i live with, was like look shave my head you know do like a skin fade let's watch a youtube video It'll be perfect so he there's your problem right there i know so so he put it on number one and did the fade bit at the bottom. And he goes, I'm not going to go straight to a two. Let's do a three and then and then fade it down, you know, thinking sensibly enough. So he did a three and shaved it up. But because it's a face razor and not a head shaver, the three was just like a one. So the one went pretty, it looked like a bowl haircut. It was, it was the worst thing. It was awful. I still look better than any job you ever had before. Oh, stop. Awful. So, so yeah, that's pretty much the height of... Uh, the height of the crack and the fun here was a home haircut that went bad. What What about you? How's it going? I'm in the dilemma of getting a haircut as well, where Lydia wants to cut my hair. And I'm, as you know, going into week six, and I'm pretty confident we might be coming out in two weeks. But then again, the barbers aren't going to be open. So maybe I do just take the risk and get her to cut my hair. But at the moment, like, I've had long hair b- b- before, but not as long on the sides, and it's literally growing over my ears. Yeah, I, I did have, when that nightmare did happen with the skin fade gone wrong, and for anyone, maybe I'll post a photo of it on Startafan for anyone who wants to go on and have a laugh, but um, I did consider the head shave. I did. I was like, maybe I'll just get rid of this. But any of the any of the OG startup on followers will know from 2015 <laughs> when we launched, I shaved. I've lost my mind and I shaved my head at a Britney Spears moment. I shaved my head maybe five weeks or something before Web Summit, before the first time we yeah. ever filmed. And I was con- no, sorry, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. Um, it was about two weeks before you because I remember how how annoyed you were and pissed off you were that you would cut your hair yeah it was only two weeks god yeah because my my hair grows quite quick so i was like if i shave my head in two weeks because i keep it quite short anyway it'll be fine but it wasn't it had barely grown back yeah it was nice. hate to say it though graham you had a bit of weight on you at the time i did and you had a bit of a fat head it actually wasn't a good look at all was it oh jesus <laughs> actually, actually looking back the shaved head was the least of my worries but anyway Enough about that. So who do we have on the show today? Today we have David Weldon. He's the ex-CMO of Orbs, which people will know as NatWest. So let's get into the show. So how are things with you at the moment anyway? Good, thank you. I mean, considering the state of lockdown, I'm surprisingly making the most of the time available. And in my case, um, it's a reflective time because, of course, I'm no longer in the full-time employee of the Royal Bank of Scotland group, or now um, the NatWest group, um, and therefore being able to enjoy this time. Um, strange to use the word enjoy because it's, it's odd. But how are you guys? Are you all right? Same problem. Good. 
Yeah, same yeah. problem. The same problem. Well, we're we're not retired just yet, <laughs> but um, but hopefully in the next number of years we'll be in the same position. But I, I'm in Dublin and Graham is in London. I've been in lockdown now for going into week six, and you're you're going I think into this what is week five. Four, 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 yeah, four. I thought it was four. Um, it, it's an it's an interesting place to be on lockdown, right? As in living in in Zone One London is a for me it's a blessing. I I really like it. Um, but but lockdown it's it's maybe quite pointless, right? It's it's nothing's open anyway. <laughs> um, there's not all uh, there's fresher air than there was, but it's still not um big spaces you can go out and kind of um. An explorer, so to so to speak, on on exercise, and it's all very city focused. But um, it's 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 not too bad. So, David, you did you leave, um, you know, and and retire, and then COVID happened, or or was it while you were still there? Well, I mean, I, I, well, first of all, I'm I'm not using the word retire. I think the fashionable expression is I'm entering the third chapter. Oh, of my okay. Career. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you very much. But my, you know, I, I, effect my um, leaving the bank, my retirement, just to use the word again, was announced on Strategy Day on February the fourteenth. So effectively, because the you know the interim arrangements were put in place as well for my official leaving at the end of March, but effectively that meant I stepped down then. Now, you know, I think it was on the Wednesday afterwards. I was on the tube on the way home. And there was a woman with an extraordinarily large mask on next to me. So I got home and I said to Macarena, my wife, oh, my God, this COVID thing is clearly getting getting on people's nerves. This woman with an extraordinary mask. And unbeknownst to me, somebody had taken a picture of that. So the next day, a friend of mine sent me a thing. So I don't know if you know, but you're on the front page of the BBC website. Now, more to the point, I was in the background of this woman because that, that, picture, that picture became the early picture for COVID. Um, so within three days of me stepping out the bank, COVID had started um, and kind of ramped its way up gradually for a couple of weeks. So I'd describe, because you know what I had in my head before COVID was March was supposed to be decompression time. April was supposed to be fixing the body parts. I need a hip replacement and an eye operation. Um, but COVID is, you know, then hit and obviously, by the time, um, so simple things like, you know, did I, I didn't get to do my leaving drinks uh, with all of my team and colleagues and my agency partners. And, but we'll do that again another day. And, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, that's neither here nor that, there now. But I was a bit, this is a great word for these times, discombobulated to begin with. Um, and I guess we all were, the anxiety of what's going on. Um, and that kind of got in the way of being able to think, oh, no, no, this is a time when I'm supposed to be reflecting, thinking about the third chapter, reflecting back over the past and indeed, you know, watching what's going on now and what this all looks like for businesses and especially for you guys. You know, what does yeah. it mean? What What is the third chapter, if you don't mind us asking? Well, that is, you know, the where it comes from is first chapter is apparently education, second chapter is full-time employee, and third chapter is what you do when you're not in full-time employee. And these days, COVID apart, the stats show that a man of my tender age of 63 can expect another 20, 25 years worth of useful uh, brain time and work time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what I've got to do is that. And actually what I'm thinking of, it will really be a little bit of back to the future. So I started out as a teacher. I'd like to end up teaching. So I want to do some teaching 
and that'll be um you know in the in the areas I've learned about branding, marketing, and so on. Um, want to do some coaching and mentoring, and um, I'll undoubtedly want to do some consulting, including you know maybe one or two board seats. So that that's what it's going to entail. But um, I've got to that crispness of describing it because I've had time to reflect on it. But you know, if I said it another way around, I mean, I want to add value where I can. I want to make a difference if I can. Um, and if there's anybody I can help with, you know, the experience I've accumulated, um, my ears are open as to how I can do that. Um, because I think in these times, you know, we really need to reflect on what's gonna, what's this going to look like when we get out the other side and what does it mean for businesses and brands and corporate culture and startups and so on, you know, endless series of things we could ponder yeah. on here. It's it's an interesting one because right now, someone listening to this podcast is sitting in their spare room in a marketing position or running their startup or scale up that have to take on the uh, the burden that is marketing and, and branding their business, listening to this saying that timing was, was great, right? And would like to be in a position of not to have to deal with trying to market. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, you're not, you know, obviously, it's... Uh, um, it's a pure coincidence, but you're not the first that said what immaculate <laughs> timing. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like immaculate, but uh, but you know, my heart goes out to all of my ex colleagues um, and how they are coping with what they've got to cope with working from home. You know, in a life that's probably a non-stop video conference, um, and that's tiring enough. You know, the and how do you get the work done in between, and how do you get the opportunity? to think about things um, in a slightly different way because, you know, I've got the benefit of the time to do that. So I'm having my own reset moment, um, but I can see how tricky that is and whether that's at the, you know, at the sharp end of a bank, for instance, where, you know, my colleagues in the front line of branch staff have been hardest hit by the illness itself, same in contact centers and, Customers, of course, expect the same continued service and access to their money and to human beings. And and actually, that's not easy for the bank to deliver, but they've delivered. And particularly in the circumstance that the Chancellor has now set up, great expectation of all banks, um, and I would say especially the NatWest Group, given its history, to deliver, deliver for small businesses, deliver um, cash where it's needed, help people with their cash flow. Um, look at things like mortgage holidays, removing overdraft charges, and I'm fiercely proud of what the bank have done. You know, watching them do that, and yeah. actually, I do not underestimate just how difficult that has been because of this circumstance. So, um, to return it back to yes, um, immaculate timing, but in less than immaculate time. Is there any? Is there? Is there even a small piece of you that that is thinking you would like to be in the thick of it? You'd like to be there. Uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, this this is a bug we have when we work in branding and marketing, and and actually there is, and in a way, you know, I'm doing that in some of the chats I've had with people and things people are asking me about, um, because it it is a kind of unique moment for me to reflect and see, yeah. And I do think we've got, you know, we're going to have a reset moment come the other side of this, you know, up the macro end of things, who knows what kind of societal reset will come our way. Um, you know, if you look at the 
power of technology here in the testing environment, for instance, and the apps in development, that's going to allow for a different kind of customer experience. So, you know, this Fitbit I've got on my right wrist that tells me how much better I'm sleeping at the moment, how much exercise I'm doing, a lot more than I did before, and tells me all sorts of data. That As that data becomes available to people, you know, what are they going to do with it? Um, they're going to be able to know whether I'm getting ill and whether I've got the symptoms. They're going to be able to warn you to keep away from me if I have. So all sorts of changes coming. Yeah. Uh, and those are going to be profound changes for businesses to deliver into. Um, but what's happening right now is interesting to watch. So, you know, we've already touched on banks, but, you know, let me wander through the other sectors I've worked in. So and if I back to my Vodafone days, I mean, I think Vodafone are doing a remarkable job, as are all the telcos, to enable the increased traffic to be borne by the networks, um, making sure everybody's got access to technology to enable them to keep in touch, especially with the people that matter to them to get work done. And that, that's great to see. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a real, real test. test. Oh, it's a real, real test. test. I think it's something goes, goes down. down. It is. And just imagine, you know, what we'd all be feeling if we didn't have any access to technology. So, you know, hats off to them. I even, you know, just to dip into, I sent my old friend Nick Jeffrey, who's the CEO of the UK, a note to congratulate them on a, a lovely ad um, I saw on air, um, which had all been done you know, with the Zoom use, which was featuring Come Together um, and very nice capturing of the moment. But enabling people to stay connected so good to see them doing that and actually i think their brand will emerge stronger as a result of what they're doing um the coca-cola company um, where i first started as a client you know what they're doing in supply chains all over the world using their fantastic supply chain system to help people in all sorts of ways is also great to see um, they're probably not focusing too much on selling many soft drinks but they're focusing on doing everything they can to help. Um, and that's nice to see too. So, you know, back to your question, if I were in the thick of any of those companies, I think there's some fantastic challenges that need meeting. And it's nice to see people rise to meet them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I do. Can I that, ask? But, you know, it is it's fun to fun to reflect um, and, and easy to kind of be the armchair expert at a moment like this and probably not necessarily helpful to those that are in the thick of it. Have you seen anything in the news in relation to Primark at the moment where they've gone from 650 million in sales per month to closing the doors, have a zero online presence, so are, their, their sales are now pretty much zero? And like for a company of that size like what 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 would you be thinking like with that well i mean i think you know for companies like that again let's you know chapeau to the government who're doing everything they can to help everybody get through this so you know there there will be methods for those companies to furlough their staff help them get through it but you know primark i'm sure will be ruining the day that they didn't put together their online presence and i'm sure they're running as fast as they can to do that. Um, but no, no, I haven't, you know, I'm speaking without having seen the news of them. So that's news to me. But, the, but you know, the, to, to, to kind of capture the serious point here, you know, there, all sorts of things are being offered to help businesses get through this. Um, some are going to struggle because of their routes to market um, simply not being open to them. Um, others are, of course, flourishing because they were well set 
to keep things going, whether it's, you know, some of the, um, and it's, what's interesting to watch is, is some of the smaller businesses um, that are doing well, like, you know, the some of the flower delivery companies who are bringing a little joy into every household with delivering the flowers. The fact that they're still going um, is great. So people are finding ways to get to market and make things happen. But, you know, for Primark, that's got to be a horrendous challenge. What, what's the new yeah. play? Actually, I haven't, I haven't read it. What, tell me, tell me. Um, basically, they didn't have an online presence or don't have an online presence. And all of their sales would have been in store. And and now with the stores being closed, they've gone from 650 million in sales per month to literally mm. zero. Yeah, we, we've kind of heard two different angles right on on marketing in startups and in scale ups over the past couple of weeks, because we, we've had a few different people on in, in marketing roles to give their advice. And there seems to be two angles, right? Um, some people are saying at, at startup and scale up stage, depending on how much money you've raised, hold your money batten down the hatches, the people will still be there when this is done, save the money and market to them then. The other angle people are saying is you need to be in front of people's eyeballs right now. Online marketing, you need to be there so they remember you and you're front of mind when they are able to purchase your product, when they are able to go to your restaurant, cafe, bar, whatever it might be. You need to be still marketing to them now, even if you can't exactly sell to them right now, if that makes sense. What What are your thoughts on, on those two two different angles? Well, the, Graham, I think it depends entirely on what your value proposition is and you know what it is you're selling to your customer base. Um, because to, you know, I, there was a nice ad in the FT at the weekend that the IPA had put in to remind people that, you know, investing in your brands through a recession um, history has shown makes you stronger and you know P&G for instance just announced that they were upping their marketing investment but you know they're established companies that we're talking about there and actually for a startup and a scale up what they're going to be worried about is their cash flow so the prudence that says make sure you've got the cash flow to get through this probably comes in front of the you know the marketing spend that puts you in front of the eyeballs. But I think that depends entirely on what you've got. I mean, I'll use, I know it's um, neither of those things, but let me use Mr. Porter just because it dropped in my mailbox yesterday and I was impressed. You know, I I have bought things online from Mr. Porter, not many along the way, um, but they did a Mr. Porter through the post newsletter, beautifully written um, editor's letter, um, where actually what they've done is identify that, there are people who are probably fed up with just being online all the time and actually produced a nice um, mail drop to the target they've got to remind people they're open, they're doing the right thing. But it's also talking about, you know, you'd usually be thinking about travel. You won't be able to travel, but, you know, how about this recipe? How about that? So doing, providing something useful to me, so useful that here I am being a brand advocate for them. Uh, and, and that, Well, it worked. Yeah, and, you know, and, that, and now let me also hastily add neither have i bought anything from them so short term you know that it's not turning into revenue but i'll remember that they did that and i'm sure i'll be back another day uh, when i've got to that task list that says tidy up your wardrobe and get rid of all the clothes you don't need um so you know i i I hesitate to kind of give advice in that simple do this or do that but i i do i do know you know through experience that investing in a brand through thick 
times as well as thin times is a smart thing to do, that you usually emerge stronger, but you've got to think about how you're doing it and what you're offering. And I do think this context, and if I were being slightly cheeky about the IPA ad, um, you know, to, it's not a recession we've got here. This is a completely, we've never seen anything like this before in history moment. Um, it will result in a recession, you know, so there's economic impact already. And when we're back to normal, inverted commas, there will be a recession. So I do think the most important thing is to think about your target audience and what they're going through and how you might add value to them through this uh, with your proposition. Because if you can, great. And if you can't, um, you know, be thoughtful and mindful of how do you keep them, how do you keep saliency going? Because that's what we're talking about here. So it's not, you know, the black and white way, Mark, you've talked about it, is there's going to be shades of gray here. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go just batten down the hatches because it's, it's money you don't need to invest because you'll rue that later. And there's lots of science behind that, as we all know. But I do think the biggest problem for a, especially a startup is cash flow. Um, and, yeah. and they'll be worried about, you know, how they're going to get through next month rather more than they are how they're going to get the eyeballs for three months time. I, I know you're retired and I don't want to keep to- hyping on about the bank and the whole lot, but right. I just wanted to ask, because I know a lot of our, our listeners will be wondering this, what what do banks normally do in a situation like this? Because everyone always gets a hard time about supporting and helping startups. And I just wanted to get it from you like what would the bank be thinking in ways of supporting small businesses and what can they do well as you know the you know the NatWest group's got a proud history of supporting startups the entrepreneurial hubs up and down um, the country have been doing that for a while services provided free for startups um, and that will be continuing but, you know, what they can also do is alongside the Sybil that the government have put in place and uh, make loans available fast. Actually, you know, I know that the bureaucratic gap between what the Chancellor promised and the banks delivering it was probably painful for some businesses. But And, you know, people were quoting only a thousand loans had been given out a couple of weeks ago. Now that's uh, accelerated and 70 percent of those loans have been given out by the NatWest Group. So very proud to watch that. So that what they can do is provide money and help and advice. Um, that it's also, because it's Britain's biggest business bank, it's a source of learning for people. Um, and I know they're trying to do that. But, you know, let me just insert the health warning here. You know, um, and this does link back to something you said. I, I personally can't help through this moment because I'm no longer there, but I know my colleagues are doing everything they can to help, and I'm watching them do that, and I think they're doing it well. So I do think that you know, in the startup and scale-up phase, there's a lot in place already, and you know, for those that aren't customers of NatWest or the Royal Bank in Scotland, um, have a look, and you'll see that you can access that through the entrepreneurial network and you can use those hubs whether you're a customer or not um so i think there's plenty of help available you've just got to ask for it just keeping on on natwest for a second what were the components that that led to natwest being a a more attractive brand than orbs and leading to the whole rebrand when what was in place and what happened to make that decision 
Well, I mean, if you go, you know, when I joined the bank, uh, the RBS group, um, almost five years ago, um, I started on July the 1st, 2015. It was the most toxic brand, brand in the marketplace for all the reasons that are well known. Uh, was still five years ago facing all sorts of litigation, facing all sorts of fines that needed fixing, and it was still posting a loss. So the task back then um, that I was hired to help do was to sort out the brand portfolio on the one hand, but as part of the executive committee to help get the bank in shape, to return to profit, to return to paying dividends and to get the bank safe and secure again, especially from a capital perspective. And, and all of that has been done, um, so much so that as we went through um, these years, what we were looking at was returning to the customer-facing brands. And, you know, simple history lesson here, the customer-facing brand in Scotland is and always has been the Royal Bank of Scotland. If you're a customer in Scotland, you talk about being a customer of the Royal Bank. RBS was an invention of that management team at the time that wanted to turn the Royal Bank of Scotland into a global brand and did all of the right things because, you know, Royal Bank of Scotland would have been too much of a mouthful, so RBS it became. And RBS was an attempt at building a global brand, um, but, you know, like all brands that you're building, you need a successful business. So what had happened before I arrived in the bank is the business had been unraveled, but um, nobody had actually said, listen, we need to unravel the global brand. So let's use rugby sponsorship to illustrate that. You know, money was still being spent against the RBS Six Nations, and yet RBS is not a customer-facing brand. The Royal Bank is, and NatWest is in England and Wales, and 80% of the profit uh, of the group goes through the NatWest brand. So over time, as we looked at, you know, how can we drop the toxic brand and how can we move um, to another brand, it became self-evident that it was time to rebrand as the NatWest group. And that was announced on the 14th of February. And in a way, you know, that's one of the, one of the triggers of my job being done was getting that done at the same time as having led the purpose work for, the bank and getting that done too. But, you know, to, to keep it to the simplicity of a branding story, um, somebody should have made this observation before I got there, actually, but they, they didn't, you know, and sometimes um, branding is um, staring you in the face as an issue. So it's the NatWest group that drives the revenue, drives the bank forward. And that's why, you know, it's changed and you'll see that impacted the legal change by the way is yet not done it gets finished july the 31st but the intent to shift was announced on february the 14th um, and well received all round took some careful stakeholder management in scotland because obviously a lot of pride invested in the scottish bank that had become and let's remember it was, albeit briefly, the biggest bank in the world by a country mile before the crash mm. came. Um, so it was part of the turnaround, and in a way, a you know, a, a natural end to it was to return to the Royal Bank of Scotland for Scotland only, NatWest everywhere else, um, and the investment bank, NatWest Markets, for instance. So you'll you'll see that flow through. Yeah, they they do say that recessions cause a lot of of. The aftermath of a recession caused a lot of people to set up a sunk up a company and become entrepreneurship. 
did you in that west see a, a big spike in in this happening from the result of the 2008 2009 uh, recession now i know you weren't there there at the time yeah, well, but, you know, you, but the data you know you can see the data and yes is the answer but i mean i, I think this also you know you've got to overlay a couple of other things a whole generation um, rather lazily labeled the millennials um who then entered into another lazy um, label, the gig economy, and were more interested in you know working for themselves and finding a way forward than they were in working for a company. So I think there is you know recession triggered. Oh wow, how can I earn money? How can I do things differently? And I've got this idea, uh, and the data shows that. But it was against a societal wave of change as well. I would suggest, which is why you know we've seen the growth of entrepreneurs um accelerate and and obviously massively tech enabled so you know in that 10-year phase if you just look at what technology has enabled people to do it's remarkable and some of the things that people are doing now there's some phenomenal innovation going on even through this phase um which will enable the next wave of entrepreneurs but i also think there's a there's a sad truth to recessions and economic impacts and probably an even sadder truth to this particular one, which is the rise in unemployment. Um, and with the rise in unemployment comes a raft of people going, must be another way I can do this. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you think? I mean, are you seeing, as you look at the kind of conversations you're having, are you seeing more people um, hankering after a, an entrepreneurial future? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I was only looking at the figures there earlier that came out where 140,000 companies have applied for the government help uh, job retention scheme. And I know it's no fault of the company that it has to go down that route. But I do think that like with 2008 to 2009, that it's kind of made people decide right okay i'm going to go and do my own thing and i'm not going to rely on anyone else and i wonder will the other side of this have that same sort of effect yeah well i think that's a great thing to ponder mark i mean i think it will Uh, and again if you look at you know the the trust in companies uh, and what i'm talking about here is employers who trust the company they work for you know, if you're sitting in a company right now who's immediately furloughed you and done it badly, um, by which I mean without kind of human interaction and being thoughtful about it, because everybody will take even that personally. Um, you, know, you know, the people that come out the other side are going to remember that and they might find themselves thinking, I'm not sure if I want to work for these people and they deserve my loyalty. So, you know, I, th- I think there is there's plenty of evidence of how companies have had to adapt through recession and, you know, cost cutting and loss of workforce being one of the things that happens. But that also can be done well. Um, And, you know, when it's done well, in other words, you know, if I look back at um, RBS when I joined it, you know, when I joined RBS, uh, which had the citizens group as part of it at the time, there are 125,000 people working for the bank then there are around about 60,000 now and there'll be fewer over time and that's because of the impact of technology and what the bank said when I was there will still be saying now and it's genuine and it's delivered is you know if you work here 
we're going to make sure you've got a job that is challenging stretching, that you get fairly rewarded for it, that you've got a great boss who will get the best out of you, and that you get really well trained for a great future, whether it's within the bank or without the bank, um, or out with the bank, should I say more correctly. So, you know, training people in the full knowledge that they might not be there for life, which is these days in most industries a fact of life. So, you know, what history has done here is shift the full-time employment base where there's a whole lot more people doing their own startups, doing freelancing, doing all those things that were lazily labeled, as I said, the gig economy. And I think this event is going to cause more of that. But there is, you know, the question you're nailing on here is that's also to do with the way companies behave. And and I, I agree with that. There's a lot. Yeah. I, I also think that with the aftermath of this that some companies will realize that they don't need as many staff and they don't need a big office and that they can work remotely and they're going to be able to cut in a lot of areas but you're also going to have companies that are going to realize that they they need more staff oh yeah but i do think you know one of the one of the key shifts is going to be you know the companies who go hang on a minute look how well that ended up working so you can already see here we are in week 5 where people are clicking into efficient working from home and you know lots of machines that look like they were failing by which i mean corporate machines have got themselves moving again so people will indeed be thinking about the price of property and the size of offices and whether it's necessary and indeed the attitude to working from home will probably shift so you know, if I, I'll have to confess here, I, you know, on a, on a grumpy Friday, um, I would wander around the office kind of whispering under my breath, sometimes not necessarily under my breath. How come everybody wants to work from home on a Friday? And, you know, how come I can never get hold of them on the phone when they're working from home? Which is a, you know, very lazy presumption on my part because, you know, people were doing their jobs. And I think what this phase will prove is as long as you do the work that's necessary, you can do it from wherever you need to. Now, for a company, that can result in a major reduction in cost. I mean, I, I won't say who, but I was talking to, you know, one of my friends in the advertising agency business who was going, well, we have people who have to live in London because they've had to come into the office all the time. And actually what we're seeing is our great creative people are doing great creative work, working from home. Maybe it'd be better for them if they went and lived in the country because it'd be cheaper and maybe all we need is a touchdown space where we can physically get people together every now and again for community and culture. But that kind of post-work thinking um, is going to be accelerated. That's true. And and the shift in cost base that that implies as well. Yeah, there's, there's huge savings to be made. And we, and we see, obviously, WeWork being being the obvious one that, that's been quite hit by um, by this, right? And, and there's a lot of people canceling their contracts. And 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 downsizing offices and in, in some cases quite massively because obviously a lot of corporates took space and we work um to be seen there and to have a bit of flexibility and they're they're using the flexibility now right they're downsizing one quick one which is which is interesting and has been on our minds is there's a lot of different people listen to this podcast some people may have been furloughed and want to launch a startup launch a business some people are in startup mode, right? And they're, they're taking everything on the chin. And some people are in scale-up mode and are looking to to rebrand, right? Looking to freshen up their brand, maybe have a bit more time to focus on it at this stage. What is your advice for somebody landing on the right brand? 
because some people say go out to your to your customers go to your audience what brand do they want to see and get the feedback from them but then other people say go to an agency and let experts look after it um what how do you see people landing on the on the right brand well i mean uh, again this is the, you know there's the kind of science and theory that we could talk about but i've always quite liked the you know when you meet somebody who started up a company and it, you know it's called company x and you go so tell me tell me the story of company x and you know they have a story as to why they got to that name and what the name means and what it means for the business you know that's compelling it's even more compelling when it's got you know does what it says on the tin abilities to it but you know as we know you know branding is littered with stories of people who tried the you know, let's just call it X Amazon being the famous one, but you know, you've got to give a brand meaning and it's got to resonate. And you, the CEO, uh, and because when you're an entrepreneur of a startup, you know, think like a CEO, even if the only person reporting to you is yourself, you know, you've got to live that brand and own it and be it and tell the story of it and name it appropriately. And, you know, you can do that yourself. Now, what you'll get um, and this is not to speak against branding agencies because I think they're excellent at helping you at the right time. But, you know, you've got you to understand that the, a brand is what a brand does, as Aaron Surin used to say. And you as the CEO of it have got to deliver it. And if you've got a name that captures that, you know, you, you then got to be able to deliver against it. So I would I would start by having the fun of thinking yourself, try it out on a few people. You can, of course... These days, use SurveyMonkey to try it out on some of your um, customers as well um, and get some feedback and, you know, do your own homework before you go shelling out your hard-earned money to experts that you don't necessarily need in the short term. You might need, um, so unless you've got, unless you've either got great design expertise yourself or a mate who has, you probably need somebody to then manifest it because the physicality by which I mean, you know, the look and feel especially, you know, the online version of it is a key thing. And and there is an awful lot to be said for getting that done professionally at the right time. Um, but the brand name, you know, I think it starts from within and it starts with you, the entrepreneur, listening to this um, and the story that you then have to tell. And actually, let me stop there. What, what do you reckon? I mean, what, what do people give you as feedback? And what's your observation? Because you've talked to a lot of people who've been through this Mark yeah, well, well most one that springs to mind is, is is I'm not sure if you've seen that fintech coconut um, for for yeah. uh, small to medium businesses. Uh, it's actually for freelancers, but they're they're expanding into small to medium businesses. They did the rebrand so well, I actually can't even remember the name beforehand. Can you, Mark? <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Um, no, I was actually trying to trying to think of it there. But, no, but I can't. Basically, what they did, they had a name which I can't remember, but. Um, we were there today. The they they actually launched a new brand, and we we interviewed and spoke to them about it. And they basically said that freelancers have this dream of whether it's right or wrong, but have this dream of being able to work on a beach, right, and and work from where they want to work and have that freedom. And Coconut summed that up, right, among among, among yeah. their people. You know, Coconut that's the name of the. It was edgy. It was cool. Uh, it was available, which is also important, right? Um, it's going to have to be going to have to be available, but they but they changed it to coconut because it just resonated, and they actually went out and got feedback from their uh, crowdfunding, um, the people who put in money via crowdfunding. So they're top evangelists, basically. They went and went. What do you think of these names? 
which which of these names resonates with you the most and, and coconut come out on top and then they used a branding and design agency to build on top of that that's that's how they did it which was which was executed really well yeah and that i mean you know that that's pretty much what i just said i think a bit you know a better version of it so i would do that but a bit like you know your good selves i i, I love the the brand you've got startup van it, it does what it says on the tin and the story you've got behind how you got to that was a nice one too and and you then live it and you deliver it but it, that thing where you know you get the feedback at the right time and the expertise at the right time because you know times like this you need to be out there making the business run get the cash in and make it work you don't need to be preparing for the day that you'll do that and that's often what happens in the in the trap of you know if you go to an agency to do this before you know it you know you'll have spent a lot of money and you might not be there but great yeah we must look up what the word what the name of coconut was before it rebranded to coconut yeah well i I was just going to say that the proof is in the pudding there that any company that is scared of going through a rebrand we can't even remember the old name yeah which is perfect good demonstration of it but again look you know the nice crisp story they've got to tell as to why that is and it obviously resonates with their customer base too. I mean, the only trap, you know, I, I would tell people to beware of is, you know, research can't tell you the answer to these questions. And, uh, and of course, it is the iPod that um, in all its guises is, is always the standout case study of that, not just because, you know, nobody thought people would want a music streaming device like that and everybody thought that name was insane and you know and here we are monzo (laughs) monzo was another interesting one obviously it it wasn't a a beautiful story like the coconut story or the coconut story obviously was very organic the way they the way they went about it and the way they did it whereas as uh, as mondo uh, they were called at the time got a a cease and desist letter about about their name and were going to be uh, sued over the name mondo basically um and they chose not to rebrand and chose to to fight it in the beginning and spent a hell of a lot of money fighting it to keep the name mondo um against the board's advice but then then decided yeah. let's just change one letter to monzo and i would i would hazard a, i would hazard a guess to say 98% of their users i think there are 2 million uh, customers now i'd say 98% would not be able to say what it was called before maybe higher yeah yeah and i mean that to to pick out two things of that well done the board for giving the right advice you know yeah <laughs> good for the <laughs> yeah well i suppose you can look at it two ways the smaller the company if you're going through a rebrand most people wouldn't have known you anyway and the bigger the brand the more money they have to put behind it to really enforce the new name or the rebrand yeah but i mean in the end you know that because and monzo is a good example here because monzo understand the aesthetics of design so you know look at the color of the cards look at the way the app works look at the general customer experience of it so they've really thought about the user experience and they've thought about it through the aesthetics of design and i always applaud that because you know the world should be full of beautiful things not ugly things you started david at the time of the rise of the challenger banks is that fair to say around five years ago was you know, these started yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, remember before this, um, I was in Barclays. Um, so, you know, I've been watching that um, growing sector. But this is a bit like, you know, if I go back to, you know, in my time in the mobile industry, uh, when people were talking about how this was going to be the year of the mobile and all advertising would go through the mobile. And, you know, that was said every year I was in the industry it didn't happen. But boy, is it happened now. 
And actually what you've got, I think, is the same with the challenger banks um, who are probably suffering through this moment of pain, actually. But, you know, what they're not what they've done is build a really good fan base by doing by delivering really good service, actually, whether it's digital or physical. So, you know, if you look at um, financial problems apart, Metro, who have got that clever combination of, you know, people doing a great job and tech to support it. Um, and there, there will be more like that. But whether they can survive through this, I think, you know, uh, my ex-chairman, Sir Howard Davis, told the story of when he was in the West Coast talking to some of the investors over there. One of them actually said, well, the interesting thing is this is going to be a race between fintechs and you guys, whether you can make the most of the customer base you've got and innovate fast enough to keep them away or whether they can grow fast enough to take your customers mm. away. Um, what was the and and that's that's the fight that's going on. I mean, I leave the bank as the bank, I think, is in good shape uh, with some good digital offerings that have been built as a response. Meanwhile, you know, so Bow for consumers and Metal for small businesses, both standalone digital banks. Um, and what you see through the research there is an interesting thing, which is the reassurance that people get um, from them being backed by NatWest and understanding that there's a solidity um, that comes from a bank that they trust. Um, and there's an irony in, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't have talked about RBS being a bank that was trusted. And now you can talk about NatWest being a bank that's highly trusted. So, you know, good platform to build from. But fintechs, you know, as I say, in this moment, must be worrying about their cash flow to looking at their funding rounds and wondering you know whether this will get over fast enough for them to survive so just final thoughts before we we wrap this up because we're nearly out of time what one piece of advice would you give startups and scale-ups that are going through this right now obviously quite a tough time marketing and branding wise what what would you say to them for those that are listening right now well again depending on what your offering is you know you started this venture because you had a belief in it don't let these circumstances knock your belief in it but do adapt according to the circumstance so watch your cash flow if you need to you know scale your business faster if you can if that's the offering but you know you've got to believe in what you're doing and believe in yourself um, and usually you will make things work out the right way if you do um, so i wish all of you the very best through this phase and when it comes to marketing and branding Marketing is an investment which you should always seek a return on. It isn't a, a disposable piece of cost. So don't give up on marketing, but be smart and sharp about it. And I would particularly think about how to make your brand stronger as you go through this phase. And there are all sorts of ways of doing that, whether you know, if you're not able to keep working, keep in touch with the customer base you've got, check in, make sure they're okay, tell them you're still on the case and you'll be back soon. And no doubt you'll come bouncing back. But to simplify that, um, believe in what you're doing because that's why you started it. Brilliant. Good bit of advice. Thank you, David. And thank you very much to everyone for tuning in and listening. And wherever you are listening, make sure to subscribe and follow to the Startup on. It's one on one shot, now the future is yours, go!